Um, if you turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah in chapter 51, please. Jeremiah in chapter 51. I will be reading from Revelation 2, which you don't need to turn there. It'll be a short scripture. Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 6. And it says, Flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He will render unto her a recompense. Babylon had been a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunken. The nations have drunken of her wine, therefore the nations are mad. Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed. You don't need to turn there, but I'll read in Revelation. And it says, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, the great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of her wrath, of her fornication. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, O God. We glorify you for who you are, O Father. Lord, and we just ask you, O Father, Lord, that you'd be here in our midst, O Father. Lord, that we might lift up Christ, O God, here today, O Father. And Lord, that you might open up our eyes, O God, and help us to hear, O God. Lord, we pray, O God, Lord, that you'd speak to us, O Father. Lord, even speak to this preacher, O God, and help me, O Father. Lord, to act as your mouthpiece here today, O Father. And Lord God, that we'd hear what the Spirit has to say to us, O Father. Lord, we pray, O Father, Lord, for a fresh anointing, O God, and consecration. O oh God, as we go into 2024, O oh Father, and Lord God, that we be meet for the Master's use and used for your glory, O oh Father. Lord, we pray, O oh God, bless your word here to this, this afternoon. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. I'm going to preach here this afternoon on the wine of Babylon, the wine of Babylon. You know, we just read a scripture there in Jeremiah, and I'll read it again. It says, flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He will render unto her a recompense. And Babylon hath been a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunken. The nations have drunken of her wine, therefore the nations are mad. What is Babylon? Babylon was an ancient city and empire in Mesopotamia, which is current modern-day Iraq. It was one of the greatest empires that there's ever been in all of human history. It went for thousands of years, far longer than an empire would normally have gone in, in all of history that we have seen up to then and, and since. The Bible calls it, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the head of gold or the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency in Isaiah's prophecy. That's what they call it. The name Babylon. It means gate of God or gate of the gods. That's what it means. And then latterly came, Babel came to mean confusion because God confused their, their uh, tongues. This is interesting because history tells us that there might have been maybe a hundred gates, but of the known gates here are some of the names. And I'm going somewhere. This is important. The Ishtar gate, named after the god of fertility. This is why we have Easter, Easter eggs, Ishtar, Easter, it's where it comes from. The Shamash Gate, named after the sun god Shamesh. The Adad Gate, named for the weather god Adad, who controlled the rain. The Urash Gate, agricultural god. The Enlil Gate, god of wind and storms. The Zaba, Zababa Gate, god of war. The Marduk Gate, 
God of the city of Babylon. All of these gates are named after a, a, a God that goes along with it. And the name of Babylon, as I said, means the <coughs> gate of God or the gate of the gods. So the name of the place is typical of the actual geography and the layout of that, um, of that city. So what am I preaching on? The wine of Babylon. What is the wine of Babylon? The wine of Babylon is the variety of teachings that stemmed from her doctrines. And that's what I want us to look at because we live in a Babylonian era nowadays. The Bible speaks about Babylon being raised up and cast down, not once, but twice in the end times. So in Jeremiah's day and also in Revelation, Babylon is going to be cast down. And those people, those Hebrews were told that they're going to be able to flee out of Babylon. They have to leave that world that they live in. So it's very important that we know the aspects of this Babylonian age and be able to identify it that we don't get caught up in it because God warns so often of idolatry and it's not to the people outside but it's to his people it's his people that are the ones that raise up the idols it's his people that are ones that get taken away with the gods of of uh, the Chaldeans and all of the other gods that were there and so I want to do no different here today but to explain to you all of these things. Because he says in Revelation, there followed an angel saying, Babylon has fallen, that great city, because she had made the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. It says in another, in later on in Revelation that the nations have become drunk of her wine because they drank it and they become drunk. It's I don't want to get caught up by the wine of Babylon. I'm not speaking about uh, you know your your uh, physical alcoholic wine today. I'm talking about a spiritual wine that originated in Babylon. And I think three things that are typical of Bab of this Babylonian wine that I want to talk about are access to God without Christ, worship of gods that are not Jehovah, and sacrifice of gods that are not Christ. It is in the name of the city. So the first point, access to God without Christ. In the name of the city, gate of gods. That's not an accident, saints of God, that Babylon had all of these gates named after other gods. The name of the city was gate of God. What are they saying? This is the gateway to the gods. This is the gateway of God. This is how you get to God. And I'm telling you, it was outside of Christ. It was not the way that you're supposed to go. This is what religions outside of true biblical religion promise. They promise a pathway to God outside of Christ. New Age teachings will say that you need to, uh, need to do enough meditation and you'll obtain enlightenment. Enlightenment began in the Garden of Eden. The, the, the serpent said, if you eat of this fruit, you'll be as gods. So because of higher knowledge or Gnosticism, you're going to try be like God. It's from the beginning of time. Catholicism says Mary is a co-redemptrix with Christ. So the Catholics will say that Christ is not the only Redeemer, but Mary, Mother Mary, is also a Redeemer alongside Christ. You don't believe me? It's there in their catechisms. Islam says um, there, there's one God, that's Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. No others after him, but, Mah but Muhammad is the special messenger of God. The Mormons say that you have to be baptized in their Mormon authority and priesthood to get into the third heaven. All of them preach justification by works. Self 
justification, something that you need to do to get into heaven, be it follow their religious system, do their religious rites and rituals, and then maybe someday you'll get into heaven. Our Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Bible says in Ephesians, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Saints of God, you didn't get saved by your works. You didn't get saved by being a good person. You didn't get saved by doing good deeds. You are saved by the blood of Jesus alone. That's the one thing that saves you here today. And if you have any other boast, if it's church meetings, if it's what you've done by bringing food here tonight, if it's by putting on a nice fine suit for your Sunday morning or afternoon service, then you are sorely mistaken. It's only by the blood of Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That way, that's a way of living, a way of being, a philosophy. And so it's him that we follow after, not any other way. Those new age people will say, all you have to do is just do enough rituals, buy enough tarot cards or crystal skulls or, or healings or Reiki or whatever it might be, and you'll obtain God hell. It's the same in the Freemasons. You, you just aim for more and more Godhead or, or trying to be like God. But saints of God, that's not what we're doing here today. And if you think that's what the Christian is, you're sorely mistaken. That's not what we're here for. We've been saved by the glorious and miraculous blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the only reason we're here today. And it's the only thing that we can boast in here today. It says in Isaiah 64, But we are all as unclean as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. You know there's going to be people on the streets of Limerick here tonight, and they're going to boast in their iniquity. They're going to glory in their iniquity so much tonight. They're going to be uh, counting down the minutes uh, when it comes to 12 o'clock, and they're going to be so happy that today is the day that they give themselves over to their drunken stupors. But that's... That's trusting in your own things. They've been taken away by their iniquities. They can't even see it anymore. And that's why God comes with clarity and says, you trying to be a good person is like a filthy rag. Speaking to a man earlier on during the week, and he was saying about how he was brought up in the Catholic Church thinking, you be a good person, you'll get into heaven. That man was lied to, not only because the Bible doesn't teach that, but the Catholic Church doesn't even teach that. They teach that be a good Catholic and you might get into heaven. God might allow you to get into heaven. You see these gods, the gods of Islam, the god of Catholicism, the gods of the New Age, they're evil gods. They, they dangle carrots and sticks in front of you and say you just need a little bit more. You just need one more confession, one more Our Father, one more Hail Mary, one more Mass card, one more sacrament, and then you'll be holy. Our sister Eileen told us about how devastated her father was when she got saved because her father was known as a holy man. That's what they say, the Catholics. That person, they're very holy. Her father wouldn't pass a picture of Mother Mary or Ashtoreth without blessing himself by the, by, the, by the holy water. That man was given over to that. And, and Eileen said she was following in his footsteps. She loved to walk after the footsteps of her, her father. And she was known, but 
you know what that is? It's pride. It's self. It's I'm holy. It's I'm good. It's I'm going to be a good person. I'm the holy man. They're just like those Pharisees who stood on the street corners and who proclaimed, uh, speaking of their goodness, saying, aren't I great because I'm not like those sinners. Those men were not justified in the eyes of God. Your righteousness are as filthy rags. And I'm speaking to the church here today. I'm not just saying that the Catholics are in error, but saints of God, we must be so careful that we don't ever glory in our righteousness or that we don't ever glory in our goodness because if you walk this road for any length of time if your boast is your righteousness you're going to be very disappointed sorely 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 disappointed why because your righteousness means nothing before the hands of an almighty God your righteousness means nothing yes someday we're going to sit on that bema seat and be judged and we're going to get crowns and all those things but that's not what we boast in here today we boast in Jesus Christ no amount of affirmations will save you no amount of shamanic rituals will save you no amount of knowledge will save you no amount of mass cards will save you only the shed blood of Jesus Christ and can I tell you that I'm very grateful here today that that is the case I'm glad that when passing a Catholic church I don't have to think oh I don't have any money isn't that right Sister Mary one time she had something she needed prayer for but she had no money for a candle and so she had to walk on past couldn't even light a candle couldn't access the Holy of Holies or the throne room because she didn't have 50 cent to, for the, they're not even candles anymore they're those little buttons with LED lights nowadays they try trying to save their money wherever they can. And so they didn't have the money to press the button. That is the foolishness that the Babylonian religion has given us this day. It's the same with Islam. Speak to Islam. Saints to God, you must understand what you've been saved out of. You speak to a Muslim, they do not have any assurance. It is a sin in Islam to say that you're going to heaven. It is a sin in Islam to say, well, I've been a good Muslim and I'm going to heaven. It's genuinely a sin because only God can judge. Only God can judge. And yet my Bible says these things. Little children, I write these things unto you that ye might know that you have eternal life you can stand by reading the bible by reading the scriptures you can know where you're going to go and we stand there and we proclaim it on saturday mornings with great authority because the bible says it we say sinner if you want to go to heaven repent of your sins turn from your wicked ways and follow after jesus follow after him because we're, it's not like all those other religions. Because all those religions, as we'll see, they are birthed in the one place. They come from the same place. There is one mediator between man and... Sorry, I have it written down here. I shouldn't try to quote it. For there is one uh, God and one mediator between man and God and men. The man Christ Jesus. He is the only mediator. We know of, a, we know of a, a lady, her uncle, he got saved from reading this scripture. He was a devout Catholic. He read this scripture and realized, I don't need that Catholic priest. He realized that that confession box, this man is a mediator or if he's not the mediator, the Pope in Rome is certainly the mediator and yet the Bible says there's one mediator and that is Jesus Christ. He is our high priest. That's why we don't have any priests here. We don't wear any collars because we have one high priest and I'm glad brother Keith that you're not our high priest today I'm glad that I'm not a high priest today but we have one who's seated at the right hand of the father and he is the high priest Mary is not a redeemer Muhammad is not a redeemer Gandhi Buddha they cannot redeem you they are not your mediators there's one advocate between us and the father and so that is Babylonian religion that you can have access to God 
without Jesus Christ. You can enter in by one of those Babylonian gates. And saints, we live in a Babylonian age. There's many gates in Babylon, as we've heard. The historians say over a hundred. There's many different ways to get to God according to the sinner. Do you know people often say when you're on the streets, fair play to you. I believe exactly what you believe, but just differently. I've heard it so many times, saints of God. Oh, Jesus is your way, but Buddha is my way. Or I believe in your Jesus, just a different type of your Jesus. If it's not the Jesus written about in the Bible, it's not the same Jesus. He's not our Jesus. There's only one way. There's one gate. What does the Bible say? Anyone who tries to get in other by that than by that narrow gate, he's a what? He's a thief and a robber thief and a robber but people don't believe that they go out there and they do their rituals or they do their parties or they do their dead religion and they think this is going to curry favor with God there's only one way to get to God and saints of God I want to tell you it's Jesus Christ this is the other thing of Babylon the, Babylon, the wine of Babylon worship of gods that are not Jehovah for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication it says in uh, Revelation. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed, through which, uh, waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Let me read that again. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And the inhabitants, and it says later in, in a different um, uh, section of Revelation, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Herein lies the two great religions of today, not 4,000 years ago, not 2,000 years ago, of today. Worship of Babylon's gods and worship of mammon. And you could probably shorten it down to worship of Molech or worship of mammon. I was reading a good book by a man called Keith Malcolmson in chapter 4 of The Scarlet Woman and it says she being the woman that rides the beast commits fornication with the kings of the earth drunk with her fornication. These two Greek words translate as fornication which includes adultery, incest and idolatry. She actually commits this fornication with the kings of the earth and as a result the people in these nations are intoxicated. In verse 4, we read further concerning her, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. This cup in her hand with its contents represents her doctrine. It is true her doctrine that people right across the world have been made drunk. Drunkenness speaks of influence. They are literally intoxicated by way of her teachings. Through her doctrines, she has led people in all the earth into spiritual fornication. We are told that the cup holding her doctrines is made of gold. Gold in the book of Revelation represents divinity or something given of or made by the cup she holds in her hand. Filled with her doctrines, give the appearance of containing something perfectly divine from heaven. In the Old Testament, the English word for fornication is only used four times, and all of those times it relates to idolatry or spiritual fornication. Fornication in English comes from the word fornix in Latin, meaning a vaulted arch or vaulted chamber, vaulted opening, a covered way. It was these places where prostitutes would wait for their clients 
Um, and the word then became synonymous with the immoral act. This idolatry comes from one man and from one point in time. What am I saying? That this uh, fornic spiritual fornication, idolatry, these gods, these religions, they came from one place and that is from ancient Babylon and has been passed down all the way <clears throat> to true time. How do we know this? Because the scripture likens the new world, one governmental system as a new Babylon when the angels come, they proclaim Babylon has fallen. They're not saying the new world order is fallen. They're not saying that uh, the ten kingdoms are fallen, although that's part of it. But they're saying Babylon is fallen. That is a direct translation to Jeremiah, a direct uh, quote back to the Old Testament in Jeremiah and what he's saying to the reader in 2023 is if you want more context on what's happening in your day, look to what happened in the past. Look at the beginning of Babylon. Look at all the way through the ages because history is repeating itself in the exact same way it was. As she fell suddenly back then, so too will she fall suddenly nowadays. And we must be <clears throat> ready. You know, it says that drunkenness speaks of influence. They are literally intoxicated by her teachings. This is what the teachings that Babylon has passed down through all of human history. And still to this day, people are caught up and drunk with the teachings of Babylon themselves. And we'll look more about that later. But it came from one place. Please turn with me in your Bible to Genesis and chapter 10. Genesis and chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10 and verse 8 says, And Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was mighty, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom, note that the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and uh, Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Out of the land went forth Asher and builded Nineveh, the city of Rehoboth, and Kala and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. The same is that great city. This man Nimrod was the great grandson of Noah, and his name means rebel or the rebel or to rebel. <clears throat> it is here in the land of Shinar where they began construction of the Tower of Babel. Nimrod, due to his rebellion against God, was later deified and the, began the, he was the creator of this new religion. So what happens? God has sent a mighty flood, has destroyed all of the earth because of how wicked it was. And man just starts all over again. God started with someone perfect. Noah and his three sons. It says uh, Noah was perfect in his generations. He took, he, he wasn't just taking any Joe soap onto that ark, but he took people that he thought were perfect. And what one, one generation goes by, Noah's own son discovers his own nakedness and then he's cursed from that point on. This is the heart of man to perpetually repeat all of these things because they come from their father in Adam. So we're four generations away from God starting again and saying he's never going to send uh, water to judge the earth. And what happens? Nimrod rises up. 
this little rebel. He's a keen hunter. He's good. It says twice that he's a keen hunter, so that's important. And what does he do? He goes off and he builds a number of cities. He builds um, Babel, uh, Uruk. He builds Akkad, Kalna, Nineveh, Rehoboth, Kala. So he builds basically an entire region. He's the father of all of this thing. I don't know how many cities you've built in your lifetime, but I don't think it's even one. So that gives you a scale of the grandeur of what this man's done. And he even did it when there was no one around. Only a handful of his cousins, uncles, and aunts. And yet he was able to start there. And it's here is where these religions, this is where Catholicism goes all the way back to. This is where Islam all goes all the way back to. This is where polytheism goes all the way back to. Every single idol that gets raised up in the church of God goes back to Nimrod. Every single one, all of them go back to the same place. And you might say, oh, that's just history. So I'm not that interested. If you want to have your eyes open for what's to come, you better know what people have gone through and what's going to happen again because the same thing's going to happen. This Nimrod, I believe, is a type of the Antichrist. He's, from, he's, an, he's an Assyrian, or at least he's there. And so we need to watch to see what it's going to be like because the Bible says a great deception is coming. We're going into 2024. We went through a period of, of COVID unparalleled. Billions of people all over the world locked down in a moment and you don't think they could do it again, would do it again, and they do it much faster next time. They've, that was a trial run. They were just testing it out and that was just child's play. If anybody who's ever done a job in work, you always do, you test something small. You know, where anybody who's a painter, decorator, maybe a mechanic, you don't just set it all up and go for it. You just test it small to see how it goes and then you iron out the kinks. That's what they were doing. They were just ironing out the kinks they were testing it okay we locked them down they said Jeannie Mac look how easily everybody took uh, that COVID vaccine they took those Irish people took it hook line and sinker I wonder what we could give them again next time I wonder what we could get away with again next time and if you don't think you could be carried away with the flood of Babylonian teachings and modern day Babylon then I can tell you you're wrong you need to be uh grafted to the word of God just like the hand of Eliezer you need to be skilled like we've heard what brother Keith was teaching you must be skilled in the word of God nobody gets an out for this this thing you don't just get to say oh we leave the study to Keith and and to Soph and to Paul and to Rory and to the other men they're going to help me maybe when we get locked down we're not going to be around what happens if they shut off your internet what happens if they take away your phone and you've got no more bible what happens if you have not hidden the word of God in your heart or bound it around your neck that's what the proverb says saints of God and we must be prepared we must be ready because in the same way Nimrod came once there's another Nimrod coming but this time he's going to have weapons this time he's going to have all manner of technology it says he's going to come with lying signs and wonders and are you going to be ready you might say oh so if they haven't built a third temple yet that's a way away away off the Bible says no man know the day nor the hour. And if you know the day nor the hour, let's come talk afterwards. But he, like a thief in the night, so too comes the, the coming of the Son of Man. Why did Jesus say that? Because if you knew a thief was coming to your house, the thief wouldn't be very successful. You'd lock up all of your, uh, uh, your doors. You'd, you'd make sure it was prepared. You'd, you'd maybe be on watch. You'd have the police on standby. If you knew the thief, if the thief said, I'm coming on Tuesday, the 5th of December, whenever, you're going to be at home. You're going to be sitting there. You're going to have the guards prepped. 
But see, a thief comes when you least expect it. When you don't know when he's going to come, then that thief's come. That's why they're successful. If he didn't do it, he wouldn't be a successful thief. And so Jesus says, you think you know the day, then that's going to come. But you have no idea. You do not know the day nor the hour. And that's why we look at this. Why am I looking at the wine of Babylon? Because the Bible says it's a very dangerous thing. He made the kings of the earth drunken, intoxicated by her teachings, by her delicacies, by the way that she lives. And if you think that you can be kept from that just by your own strength or might, then you're sorely mistaken. Here today, you might say, oh, I'm not like those people. Oh, we're not like the Bethel churches in Redding, California. Oh, we're not like the, the charismatics who are in the dimmed lights and have all the projector screens and all those things. Yeah, you may not be like them, but that's not where you judge from because a great deception is going to come someday. You could be in here and you could someday be found naked. The Laodicean church says, thou art naked. You think you're clothed, but you're naked and poor do you know what you could be in a very dangerous place to think that you have need of nothing we've got good preaching we've got good teaching we attend but regular prayer meetings if you think that you're not needy if you think that you have need of nothing you're sorely mistaken here today my friends we must humble ourselves before an almighty god and be prepared and become well versed with the word of god so these religions all come from the same place nimrod um I read online an article, a commentary. It says, Nimrod's Babylonian followers worshipped him as Marduk, the god of war and fortresses. The Sumerians built the gigantic ziggurat uh, to honor their supreme god Marduk. Many believe this ziggurat was the Tower of Babel, although that's not historically confirmed. <clears throat> the name Marduk was altered by various civilizations of the ancient world due to the languages given at the Tower of Babel. His Akkadian name was Amartuk, the Egyptians' name for him was Osiris. The Phoenicians referred to him as Tammuz. And in Canaan, he was given the name of the sun god of fire, Molech. Canaanite parents often sacrificed their firstborn to this god by placing their child in the outstretched hands of a large statue of Molech while a blazing fire raged underneath. It is this Nimrod where we get all the above gods. Many of you will hear me read that and you'll, you'll hear, oh, I know that god. We've heard of Molech before. We've heard of Osiris before. We've heard of these things before. And so these all came from one individual, the man who was the great-grandson of, uh, great of, of Noah, one individual who started all of civilization. Even now, secular history, where do they say the seed of civilization is? Where is the first ever civilization? Mesopotamia. That's where they say it is. Even the, his, even the secular historians will say that our population should be way bigger than what it is, and yet they say, they say 10,000 years ago. But at, they say 10,000 years ago, the whole uh, population of the earth was culled down to a very small number of people. Well, I don't believe in their numbers. I don't believe in their years. But I do believe that that did happen. I believe that that did happen. God allowed that to happen. They just won't believe in the judgment of God. And so this is where all those male gods come from. But yet, it goes even further. The, his uh, wife was a lady uh, named uh, I Inanna. Uh, in, uh, I'm doing my best. Inanna's son. Uh, Inanna Semiramis' husband was Tammuz, the sun god. 
Um, the Sumerians worshipped the mother-son duo. Is there any other great religious system that worships mother and son? After human dispens uh, dispersion at the Tower of Babel, uh, worship of the fertility goddess and mother-son duo continued across the ancient world, but the names changed in different locations. Due, of course, to the different languages. Ianana, which is Semiramis, was known as Ishtar in Babylon, Isis in Egypt, and the son husband was Osiris, the sun god. She was worshipped as Venus in Rome and Aphrodite in Greece. She was called Diana Artemis, great fertility goddess of the Ephesians. Worship of this goddess became a roadblock in the Apostle Paul's early mission to the great uh, city of Ephesus. The Old Testament records the name of this fertility goddess of the Canaanites as Ashtaroth, uh, Baal's, count, Baal's counterpart. She became a stumbling block for the Jews and their leaders who first settled this, uh, this area for many generations. The prophet Jeremiah prophesied about worship of this goddess. This is where the Catholic Church get their merry worship. It is not something new. It is not some divine revelation. It comes from, uh, it comes from Iana or Semiramis or Ishtar or whatever you want to call her. It comes from back there. And this is very important. Why? Lest we fall into the same sins. This has happened from the beginning of time because it's a complete perversion. God the Father is not a woman. Let me tell you that much. He is a man, and, or he's not a man, but he is of ma male creatures. Women were made, so Adam was made in the image of God, and then Eve was made out of Adam. That's how the authority structure works. Nimrod came to upset that authority structure by rebellion, and it has been going ever since. In Ezekiel chapter 8, God shows Ezekiel a number of abominable things. And we're talking about the wine of Babylon here today. So access to God without Christ and worship of gods that are not Jehovah. In Ezekiel chapter 8, God shows Ezekiel a number of abominable things. The first one, idols and incense burned to them. So he says, Behold, every form of creeping thing, an abominable beast, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall and round about. And there stood before them seventy men of the ancients of the house of Israel. In the midst of them stood Yanazaniah, the son of Saphan, and every man with his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up went up. You might say, oh, Brother Soph, it's just incense. They're just pictures. This is what the Catholics will say. They will say that they're not worshipping the pictures. They're just using them in their worship. But that is what idolatry is. And also, those are the apologetic Catholics. If you go to a Catholic church, what you're going to see is veneration of statues. You're going to see people kissing medals. You're going to see people bowing down. You're going to meet Mary McNamara's who are afraid to even smash their Padre Pio statues. Why? in case they bring bad luck upon their house. It's superstition. And the superstition started back in Babylon. And so here, one thing abominable was their idols and people burning incense onto those idols. You might say, Brother Soph, that's not going to be a problem for us. It was a problem for ancient Israel. It's been a problem for God's people all the way through since time began. Why would it not be a problem for us? Why would we not have a propensity to lift up idols in in our hearts how could we not do something to try build glory to ourselves this is what the heart of man has always done and this is what we must be so careful of that's why we that's why we worship God in the way that we do to be accountable to one another and accountable to the word of God 
and accountable to God himself. Ezekiel comes with another uh, abominable thing and he says it's worse than the last. It's women weeping for Tammuz. And then he brought them to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. God says to Ezekiel, let me come show you something worse than what you've just seen. And you've got women there weeping for Tammuz, weeping for Nimrod, weeping for this false god. And one thing that's very important to note that Keith outlines in The Scarlet Woman, they did not... Uh, uh, they did not absolutely leave the God of Israel when this was happening. They just put it in conjunction with their, with their uh, idolatry. And this is, what, this is how, if we were to fall to such a sin, it would just come in conjunction. All those people that are doing their weird manifestations in the church of God or deliverance ministries, they're doing it under the name of Christ. They're not doing it as a separate thing. And we come to that next. E Ezekiel... <laughs> The next and worst thing that he sees of these idols is 25 men who turned their backs to the temple of God and worshipped the sun. He brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces towards the east. And they worshipped the sun towards the east. God says this is an abomination. God thinks very strongly on idols if anyone tries to tell you that a muslim or a catholic can be saved or somebody who worship idols they're wrong they're very very wrong or maybe they're misguided but they'll leave that i had an i had an older man an elder tell me one time that someone could be saved and going to a catholic church and just because of their family's sake and i said if it's the catholicism that we have in ireland no they could not and i remember when i got born again i uh, you know, I was brought up as a Muslim. I did not care really much for Islam, although it was my religion. I did Ramadan. Uh, I didn't eat pork. I actually did Ramadan up until I was maybe 21 or the year before I got saved. This was my life. This is how I lived. Um, and yet, when I got born again, I knew that I had to tell my dad that I wasn't. And me and my dad weren't that close because of my sin. We had a breakdown in our relationship. Um, and, but I knew I had to tell him because if I didn't tell him, I didn't love him. If someone's born again and they're sitting in the midst of a Catholic church for their family's sake, that might be okay for a while. But there's going to come a point where they'll be too convicted. Charity and love in their hearts will be too great for the people that are around them. And they'll want to tell them. I told my dad that I was a Christian. We didn't speak for three years. He said, you're not my son anymore. And that was it. We didn't talk for a very long time. And that was not a response that I was expecting. But that's what the changed heart does. When someone's born again, it causes them to act in a strange way. It causes them to act in a different way. And it causes them to cast down their idols. Those idols. It might be a bit of a struggle. You might bag up the idols and leave them at the door for your son to smash but it might be a little bit harder for you at the beginning but they're gonna go they're not gonna be there if you're born again two or three years and i come to your house and padre pio still on the wall we have a big problem there's gonna be an issue we have to cast down the idols but this is the christianity of today it's oh you know it's afraid to call things out it's afraid to call something idolatry and yet god says this is as bad as the sin of fornication. None of you lovely moral people would ever fall into such a sin. But would we ever have idols in our hearts? 
And this is what the Bible says. It's an abomination. We live in a Babylonian age. The generation, this generation, my generation, has finally dispensed with the Catholic Church and formal and organized religion. But what have we taken up? Mindfulness, meditation, yoga, affirmations, law of attractions, tarot cards, uh, green initiatives, mother worship. That's what all of these things are. This is the new religion of the day. How do you know it's religion? Because they want you to comply with all these green initiatives, but you actually can't prove that it's going to work. You just do it in the hopes that your mother goddess will help, will be kind to you and give you, reduce your carbon footprint by a, a number of degrees or the, the, the temperature. Back before I was born, it was called global warming. It's not allowed to be called that because the globe, the globe stopped warming. Now it's climate change. They told us that the, the oil was going to run out at some stage, and yet now they, they know that that was just a fabrication of the oil companies. These are the new religion of the day. We've passed them inside my work. Secular workplaces will run mindfulness courses on Tuesday mornings. You can go take an hour off work and go be in the mindfulness thing. And they will say that this is not religion. They'll say, oh, and everyone comes out of it and says, oh, wow, that's great. Even someone I know who's very close to me, who's an atheist, does not believe in God. They do mindfulness meditation, but they don't like to add in all the religious aspects. They just believe in the science of it. You're, you've been hoodwinked. That is religion. You're, you're offering up worship, whether you like it or not. What, but what's happening is that mindfulness God is ruling with a rod of iron. Jesus, when he comes back, is going to rule with a rod of iron. The nations are going to come, and they're going to have to uh, uh, give um, sacrifices unto him. And if they don't, he's going to turn the rain off. That's how this works. That's what your mindfulness God in your workplaces is doing. Same with yoga. Uh, over COVID, the places I worked, in the morning they would do yoga lessons and they pretend that this is not, they, they say that they divorced it from, uh, you know, oh, it's just, it's just, uh, what you call it, it's just physical exercise, but it's absolutely not. It is worship to all of the different gods. Look into it. All of those different positions and things you hold, they're, they're Babylonian gods. Every single one of them is a pose of worship. It's one of the reasons why I don't, gave up Taekwondo. I used to do Taekwondo years ago, and I gave it up. Why? Because Taekwondo means the way of the hand and foot. My Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm not going any other way, be it hand, foot, or mouth. I don't care. I'm not doing it. I'm following the way of Jesus Christ. In those things, we have to be careful, saints of God, because these things have invaded. Do you know, in, in Taekwondo, I remember it, uh, you know, you used to have to do the Taekwondo pledge. You put your hand over your heart, the start of every single um, uh, lesson, hand over your heart, bow to the Korean flags, Korean flags, bow to you, the most senior person, bow to your master, and, uh, and then you had to learn, you had to take a taekwondo pledge, indomitable spirit, perseverance, and all of these things are good, but that's a different religion. They're indoctrinating us and our children with their religion, and it's been happening since the days of Nimrod. And Nimrod, if he's not going to do it uh, by you willingly doing it, then he's going to do it by you by fire. That's it's just like those people, the atheists doing mindfulness meditation, saying we don't believe in a god, but you're sitting there doing mantras. 
It's ridiculous. This is what's happening, saying to God, and this is how we must prepare ourselves. Those children are going to be exposed to things in schools on a daily basis. I remember when I was younger, the, the Catholic, we lived in Catholic schools, so you used to have to say your Catholic prayers. But I also remember uh, one of the student teachers coming in and doing breathing exercises and basically gateway drugs into meditation. That's what these, and I like breathing. I enjoy breathing. All right, I have no problem with breathing whatsoever, but we have to be careful where these things are. Fathers, you must be jealous over your children. You can't just let anything go on and happen in your own home. Kids come home from school with something. What are they teaching them? What's going on? What's happening in your workplace? How are things going? Some of you are in workplaces more susceptible to these things. Others are not. But this, the world that is going to come when that Antichrist is raised is going to be a deeply religious world. It's going to be a very very religious world. We think, oh, it's going to be a-religious. Far from it. People are going to see that Antichrist doing lying signs and wonders, and they're going to believe in a God. The question is, what God? We must be prepared. So, one of the things it says, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have waxed witch to the abundance of her delicacies. And I think these are the religions of today. What did I say? The, the religion of Molech. The worship of Molech is one of them. The worship of Nimrod in all of those things. And thankfully, by the grace of God, we are a biblically, largely biblically literate church, and we want to follow after God, and we do our best that any idols, if an idol were to ever pop up, we're taking it down swiftly and very quickly but saints of God we must be careful because mammon can come in and Jesus says do not be, he said you cannot worship God and mammon and so in Revelation 18 3 it says for the nation all nations have drunk of the wine of her fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies why is it that religious worship is now put next to the merchants of the earth are waxed rich because there was two things that Babylon was very, very well known for. One is all of its different religious orders and all of its religions of the day and also its opulence. It was a wealthy, strong nation and empire that lasted far longer than the Roman Empire. It, they, that, this is one of the reasons how it fell because nobody could overtake it and yet the day that it fell, it was fallen without one shot being even fired. And so, um, I have too many notes in front of me. We just talked at the beginning of the Babylonian Empire. Now let us look at the end of it. It's important to look at the fall of Babylon because God wants us to draw our attention to the fall of the spiritual Babylon at the end of the age. There are two things mentioned in Revelation. The kings have committed fornication. The merchants have waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. In Jeremiah, it says that the nations have drunken of her wine. Therefore, the nations are mad. The nations are mad. This word mad, it's a particularly Irish word. I like the way the King James uses it. Mad, it comes from the Old English, gamed which means troubled in mind. So it doesn't necessarily mean angry, but it actually means you're gone crazy. You're gone nuts. You're not able to judge. What the Holy Spirit, through the word, is trying to tell us here is that the wine of Babylon has a maddening effect and makes one drunk, uh, drunken. Drunk people lose their ability to think soberly and make good decisions. Peter's, in, in Peter, he says that 
um, uh, be sober and watch therefore, on, sorry, he says, brethren, we know that the end of all things are at hand. Therefore, be sober and, and watch unto prayer and have fervent charity one with another. So he says, the end of the age is coming. We must be sober. We have to be able to think soberly. The Babylonian Empire is not only known for a false religion, but her delicacy. We read that Daniel, in uh, Daniel chapter 1 or 2, I believe, that Daniel would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. If you look at any statistics ever, this is the richest age globally than any other. There is more wealth on the earth now than there has ever been in all of human history. There might be slums and all of those things, but capitalism has actually lifted more people out of poverty in the last hundred years than has ever been in all of human history. But with that comes a great danger. There's a reason that God calls the modern age Babylon too. It says in in Revelation 18, that the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. Saints, I'm imploring you to store up your treasures in heaven. You might say, Brother Soph, I'm not going to get drunk with the wine of Babylon. I'm not putting up Mary's shrines in my house, but are you storing up your treasures in heaven? Or will you be like these merchantmen wailing the day that Babylon falls? When that day falls, we should be joyous. We should be rejoicing because we know the day that Jesus Christ is coming back. If your treasures are stored up here on this earth, that's going to be a very painful day for you. But if your treasures are seated in heavenly places, if you've been sending up your tithes and your offerings to heaven itself, if you've been giving your time over to God, knowing that God is preparing a mansion for you, then you're going to be in good stead. It's fascinating because you in this room would never weep for Tammuz. None of us. None of us would ever weep for Tammuz. But would we ever weep for Mammon? Could we ever so desire our homes, our place in this homes? Do you know, as I, was talking about, as I was talking about this, I was thinking there were 70 years in captivity. Were there any Jews that were sad to be going back to Jerusalem? I think that would have been a litmus test of who would have been following after him, who would have been right behind Zerubbabel looking to lay down that foundation, and who would have been crying because they built up a nice, cushy life for themselves in Babylon. Saints of God, we're not of Babylon. We're strangers and pilgrims. We're aliens here today. This is not our home. We do not belong here. And if you've done your best to make this life on earth more comfortable, can I suggest that you deny yourself, as Jesus said? Can I suggest that you take up your cross and follow after him? You know, this, this uh, command that Jesus gave to all Christians, it's not just the spiritual Christians, it's all Christians. He says, take up your cross and deny yourself. That's different. To, to, taking up your cross is complete death. Denying yourself is an ongoing command, and that is a very broad command. What is self-denial to you might be very different to me. There's things that you might covet that I would never in a million years have any desire. Good things. The Bible says that the thorns, uh, uh, the thorns are the, uh, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things. Um, and they choke out the word of God in our lives. And that's why we must be so careful that we don't worship Molech and that we do not worship Mammon. The fall of Babylon won't be a problem for you as long as your treasures are st stored in heaven. You will not be like these merchant men wailing, crying because Babylon has fallen, but you'll be seeking for that day that Jesus returns. 
And as I close, turn to Matthew chapter 6, please. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. And it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth, moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then in verse 24 he says, <clears throat> no man can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. Babylon, we associate with the gods of the age. We associate with them being a deeply religious people. We associate them with uh, the, the religions that, of fornication that came out of them. But there's the day that Babylon fell, Remember, it's important to look at this because it's going to be the same as the day that Christ returns and that the new spiritual Babylon falls. It says that Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to thousands of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine and commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which, he, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. I think that the Bible tells us that they will... That, that the nations have been made drunk with the wine of Babylon and the fornication of her idols because the world is going to be of those two things, deeply spiritual and incredibly rich. With those riches is going to come an incredible confidence and arrogance that things are going to continue forever. Every single uh, empire that ever lived in the past taught this. The Babylonians never believed that that was going to fall in a day and that it was going to be done without even one arrow being uh, shot or one sword being swung. And this is the day that we're going to come into. Same in the ways, in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. That's what we expect to see. We live in a Babylonian age. We are moving into a time where Babylon, where biblical prophecy is being fulfilled more than ever before. I believe, as the book of Revelation says, Babylon will fall just as it did in Jeremiah's day, but we must guard our hearts from the wine of Babylon, just as Daniel did from the delicacies, the delicate meats of the king he did not touch. There's places us as Christians should not go. There's places, things as Christians we should not, and I don't mean sinful things. I mean things that are not sinful. If we want to guard our hearts from these things, notice how Belshazzar was not praising Ishtar, he was not praising Nimrod or Ashtaroth. He was not praising Baal or Molech. He was not praising Marduk. But he was praising the gods of gold and silver and brass and iron and wood and stone. 
And this is the way it's going to be in this day and generation. Because just in the same way they believed that Babylon was going to go forever, the, Ro the Greeks believed that the Grecian Empire will go forever. The, the Medes and the Persians believed they'd be there forever. The Romans believed that they were going to be there forever. This current modern day generation believe it's just going to be there forever. And you know what? They're going to think that even more when those three and a half years of peace come. But after that point, it's going to be unparalleled bloodshed and how are they going to get access to everyone by that peace by that way the church is going to be lulled into a sense of security they're not going to be battle ready or hardened and then we're going to see persecution come the unsober mind that has been affected by babylon's wine thinks like this things will always continue like this forever our gods our wealth our technology our power will protect us and this empire is too great to fall there will, and there will be no day of reckoning. That's what the wine of Babylon does. The wine of Babylon just, what happens when you take a couple of drinks? People fall asleep at the wheel all the time, drunk driving. When someone drinks, older people particularly, they're not like young people who drink and they're out partying all night. Older people, a couple of drinks, off to sleep. There they go. The Bible says that the nations and the merchants have been drunk with the wine of Babylon because he's saying, look at a drunk man. That's what. That's what society is going to be like. You're not going to think straight. You're going to be screaming from the rooftop saying, they want to give everybody a vaccine. They're trying to sh stick this thing in your arm. It's untested. There's no need for it. They want to lock everybody down. And yet people just, you just, you, it, they're drunk. You look at people and it's like trying to reason with a drunk man. It's almost impossible. And it's only going to get worse. Wait till they start dishing out new tropics and wait till they start dishing out all the other things that come along with these things. It's going to get far far worse have you ever tried reasoning with a drunk man they just tell you the same thing over and over again they'll tell you the, they'll tell you a story five minutes later here did i ever tell you about the time yeah like, yeah yeah you told me you told me and then they tell you did i ever tell you about the time yeah yeah you told me you told me where's johnny gone yeah he's gone home there he went five minutes ago all right yeah where's johnny gone he's gone home five minutes ago this is what the bible says the end of the age is going to be like nations and kings we look at politicians there's some politicians that are around now that are like drunk men we look at politicians it makes no sense what they're saying makes no sense whatsoever shows no reason or logic and do you know what happens do you know what happens in the midst of an age where reason and logic are void you become unreasonable the people who follow the word of God, the people who cling to the word of God, become the unreasonable ones. If you're one, drunk, one sober person in the midst of drunk people, you look very, very strange. And that's what's going to happen as the day comes. The unsober mind that has been affected by Babylon's wine thinks like this. Things will continue like this forever. Belshazzar taught this. Nebuchadnezzar taught this. Our gods, wealth, technology, and power will protect us. They're drinking out of the sacred vessels that were taken from the temple of Jerusalem. And Belshazzar thinks that that's going to be fine, that God's not going to recompense him someday. The Bible says Babylon has fallen suddenly. And they're going to do that. They're going to, the day is going to come where they're going to mock the church of God. They're going to um, bastardize the things of God and the truth of God. They're going to do like what Constantine did 2,000 years ago, marry their paganism with the sacred things of the Bible. And think that God's not going to be upset by that. God says it's a curse to any man who adds or takes away from the words of this prophecy. And lastly, the empire is too great to fall. There will be no day of reckoning. If you're not living your life 
with the consciousness that you should be redeeming the time for the days of evil, then you've been drunk with the wine of Babylon. Because daily we should be having expectancy that Jesus Christ is going to return and prepare ourselves. And I'm not saying you're standing on shaky ground here today. I'm not saying you should be a prepper and, you know, have a bunker out your back, although if you want to do that, that's fine. We can put one in Christie's land. But what I'm saying is we need to be prepared and ready. God's word to that day will be the same as what he said to Belshazzar. Belshazzar was standing there thanking the gods of gold and silver, brass, iron, wood and stone. And yet God said to him, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Stand with me, Father. Lord, we ask you, O Father, Lord, that you'd wake us up, O God. Lord God, from a drunken stupor, O Father, Lord, in this day and age, O God. O God, help us, O God. Lord, to be freed from the comforts, O Father. Lord, that we so, Lord God, desire, O Father. Lord, help us, O God. Lord, to be awoken, O Father. Lord, from these things, O God, not to be affected by Babylon's wine, O God. Not to drink of it, O Father. O God, but to drink of the blood of Christ, O Father. To eat of the bread of Christ, the flesh of Him, O Father. Lord, that we would dwell on the Word of God, that meditate on the Word of God. And not meditate as they do, as the sinners do, O God. Lord, but to think on your word, O Father. Lord, we ask you, O Father. Lord, that you'd help us, O Father. Lord God, to glorify your holy name. To magnify your holy name. To exalt your holy name. In Jesus' mighty name.